Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another podcast of Lift Effect. I'm Carl Keller, and as always, Matt McNeil. And today we wanted to talk about something that's kind of actually an extension of last week's podcast. So we're going to kind of leverage off of that one and kind of talk about some things. And it actually actually generated a question from one of our users or not users, but our listeners, excuse me. They might be and, using it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully they're, hopefully <laughs> hopefully they're using, you're using your information, it. It's not just, yeah, don't just listen. I hope you're using it. I like yeah, the idea. I like that. Hey, what about users. a bunch of users? That's cool. <laughs> users in a good way. That's good. I like um, it. Yeah, but here's, it's a, it's kind of an interesting question. And it's one that I guess is almost like the Holy Grail. And that is, the question was that they, they actually love listening to our podcast, but there's, there's the question was, how do I find more happiness? When I first read that, I guess I, I kind of went, boy, is that a loaded question? Because it's uh, that really truly is like the holy grail. I mean, everybody wants to find that. It's, uh, boy, I, I'm really curious to see where you're going to take this one. Where do you find more happiness? How do you find more happiness? So happiness is, I'm, I'm not like a super uh, big fan of happiness. Uh, happiness is cool, but I don't like chasing it. Because it's it's kind of a you can't always be happy. Um, it's a transient state. Yeah, things are going to come up that are going to make you unhappy. Uh, it's and happiness is oftentimes uh, it's a feeling, right? It's it's there's thoughts and there's feelings around it, and thoughts and feelings are transitory and chaotic, and so happiness is not something that I think is something to be chased. I think happiness is like a result. It's sort of like winning a game. You, you don't chase the win. You, you, you chase playing the game well enough to where you can win. It's like a process orientation versus outcome orientation. And happiness seems like it's an outcome, whereas the process is more about how do you participate? What are the things that you're doing that might lead or vie for a greater probability that you're going to experience the outcome that you want. So if we're talking about happiness, that's that's an outcome gain, not like a process gain. So, but maybe here's a different way to think about it. And we yeah we talked about Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs with self actualization at the top, and what does that actually mean? Because it gets used a lot, and I don't think people don't really understand what that means. And so I, I kind of understand maybe where this question came from. Because it was this week, um, after we talked about, after I talked about the, uh, the self actualization. So, if you think about like what our brains are wired for, our our brains are wired to experience pleasure and to avoid pain. And so, 
when we feel good, we have less resistance to what to what is, right? When things are are awesome, we're kind of grooving, we don't have any resistance to what's happening because things are working in our favor or to our liking. Um, and when there's less resistance, things tend to flow more effortlessly with everything that we're doing. But we know that that's not always what's 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 ha- what happens. When we're not feeling good, there's resistance because we don't want to be experiencing what is happening. And then, um, you know, it, 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 things don't move in an effortless, an effortless way. It becomes more effortful. So when we're in this smoother flow, and I'm not necessarily talking about flow state, not yes, not yet, but we can talk about that. But when, when things are just smooth, um, everything can enter into a better a better flow state as well and so less conflicts arise we have greater creativity we have more innovation um we can collaborate with others um the more content and in flow you are the more everybody around you will also be in flow that's why it's infectious like the mood you're in is is contagious it's like everybody coughing in a theater as soon as somebody coughs everybody else starts coughing there's like these mirror neurons that start happening um so one of the we talked we tapped on positive psychology last time positive psychology is what a lot of self-development came out of um there was frankel and then out of frankel and and you know maslow and the the, the positive psychology movement which was started by a guy named martin seligman um and really pivotal psychologist. And one of the things that he pointed out was that we've got two distinct ways of experiencing happiness in the present. It's pleasure and gratifications. So if you think about pleasure, pleasures have sensory and emotional components like comfort, um, excitement. I mean, and that's extreme, like, you know, ecstasy, orgasm, these pleasures tend to be, the, the problem is, is that they're short-lived. Um, and I mean, imagine if you're having an orgasm nonstop, just, you know, walked around for two days having an orgasm, right? You, you, it's kind of a Who funny knew thought, where this conversation right? was going. I don't know, it, just, it just occurred to me, right? Like you can't, it's oh short-lived for probably for a reason. These pleasures tend to be short-lived and many of them can have negative consequences. So pleasures are an enjoyable part of life. And um, like Seligman doesn't suggest, he never suggested you eliminate these sources of, of temporary or transitory happiness. But what he offered was ways to maximize our experience of them. And his main, a lot of his research centered around three areas. One is avoid habituation of pleasures. So if you think about like, did you ever find um, something that you ate that that you loved so much that you just like couldn't get enough of it? Like for me, ice cream. Oh man, or froyo. Woo, mm, so good. Uh, but eventually, right, you, you get you get enough of it, and then you you if you eat too much of it, this is the, why you don't ever want to work in an ice cream shop. You'll eventually hate ice cream because you get too much of it. So indulging in pleasures repeatedly and rapidly reduces the pleasure of the experience. Something all of us have had firsthand experience with. You don't, you don't want to get too much of a good thing. 
this process is called habituation and it occurs with all sensorial pleasures physical touch taste sight smell sound you'll have a song that you listen to this i run into this all the time right my my six-year-old loves music she wants to control the stereo every time we're in the car she's got like a playlist on spotify that she's created and and we'll we'll listen to a song and i'm like well why don't let's try this here's one of my favorite songs right like like tears for fears off the elemental album so good right so many good songs and i'm like what let's listen to this and and she likes it but then she wants it every time we're in the car and then eventually i'm like oh my god i hate that song <laughs> the song i love so much reminded me of my early 20s and now i hate the song i don't want to listen to it so any sensorial uh you touch taste sight smell sound you get too much of it you're going to end up getting sick of it so that's called habituation what Seligman suggests is taking something like that you enjoy listening to and experimenting with listening more and less frequently. The goal is to discover the optimal time period that keeps this music or whatever your sensory thing, it could be something you're eating. It's to keep this, this sensation, the freshest and your enjoyment, the highest. So put into your life as many events that produce pleasures as you can but increase the amount of time between these events than you usually do. So try to locate the optimal time lapse that keeps your pleasure from having diminishing returns. Does that make sense? You follow? Almost like in a way, kind of taking a break every now and then. Yeah. Kind of, kind of re, you know, re, restart the battery or reboot it. And then you now, it, now it's like, breaks, a, oh my God, right. I, I have waited so long to hear this song or, right. or whatever. Right. Well, even in like productivity, right? The, the, the idea is you don't work for long periods of time, like three, four hours straight. You need to take breaks to give your, your mind a chance to rest and recover so that you can come back and re-engage and get more productivity out of it. So it's kind of tapping into some of those same neurological processes. So second is, and this is all based on his research, is savor pleasures more deeply. So the more awareness we bring to a pleasurable event, the more pleasure we can experience. Savoring is the is the act of putting uh, like conscious attention to the experience of pleasure. And he offered four kinds of savoring based on this is based on other work that he studied of of a guy named Fred Bryant and and Joseph Veroff, which let's okay, I digress which I do all the time. So four ways of savoring is basking, which is receiving praise and congratulations. Thanksgiving, expressing gratitude, which we've talked about the power of gratitude. It shuts down fear and anger, which are the emotions that derail us. Marveling, which is losing the self in the wonder of the moment. And uh, luxuriating, which is indulging the senses. And there are numerous ways to promote savoring um, even including like just sharing the experience with others or anchoring mental memories in the event. And in the case of basking, allowing yourself to feel a sense of pride for the occurrence. So that's, so that was two ways, right? So avoid habituation of pleasures, savor pleasure more deeply through luxuriating, marveling, Thanksgiving, basking. Third is become more mindful of pleasures. So much of human activity is performed without focus or attention. We're just kind of on this uh, autopilot, if you will, just living on autopilot. And we fail to notice a great deal of our overall experiences. So bringing mindful attention, which is why we use mindfulness as a, a training tool, 
people think mindfulness, somebody said to me the other day, so it's, it's how to relax. It's like, you know, again, that, that may be a byproduct, but mindfulness is training. Um, it's training your attention to any act that is a worthy experience. So in the case of our pleasures, mindfulness can elevate these experiences to have some almost like transcendent qualities. Eating, go ahead. I was going to say in a way, and and I think you may, this is kind of a, a nuanced way of looking at it. When we talked previously, the, what, when you said mindfulness, what came to my mind was being in the moment, being present instead of, you know, your, your mind is somewhere else. And like you say, I'm right. driving. And the next thing I know, how did I get there? I yep. just, I did it, but yep. I wasn't in the, I wasn't really present. You missed it. You missed the whole drive. Yeah. Missed, autopilot. You're right. You know, I, it's like telling your kids, get off your iPad and your, and, and look outside, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the moment. This out here, it, there's beauty out there and yeah. all they can see is the beauty of a cartoon or whatever it is on their iPad. That's, that's what I thought of when you said mindfulness. Yeah. 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 So think about like a lot of people use, um, as a food, like chocolate, chocolate's this big thing. And there's all sorts of research on like, what does chocolate do to our, our brains and to our emotions. And it's this really deep thing. I'm not like a huge, like, I like chocolate. I don't, I don't, I'm not like orgasmic about chocolate, but some, some people just like chocolate, but here's the thing. So imagine if you eat a piece of chocolate while you're just staring at your computer, it's going to produce a certain kind of experience. Now, imagine closing your eyes and we would call this eating it mindfully with your full attention on the sensory experience, the smell, the texture, the sensations, and the experiences in your brain. That's going to be an entirely different kind of experience than if you're just eating it and just you know watching your computer screen or watching television. It's difficult to engage in mindful activities when we we've, we're stressed and our minds are racing. And so a few slow, steady, quiet, deep, diaphragmatic breaths are helpful before you fully tune into some kind of sensation of pleasure. So when you want to become more mindful of pleasures, try to do a little control alt delete with your breath just to, to reset, calm down the, the, the noise, if you will, in your head um, so that you can tap into the, the pleasure. And, and that's something do, I do a lot and it works. It, it works. Really, it, 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 it helps de, uh, de-escalate things sometimes when things are getting too chaotic. Yeah. Um, or when, like you say, my mind's racing, it's like, it, it really does work. Uh, if, if, if you haven't tried it out there, people, it works. Yeah. It, it just, you have to just two or three breaths deep, slow, and, and it just kind of right. brings everything down, slows yeah. it down into where you, now you can think a little bit better or deal with things a little bit easier. It's, yeah. If we're going to maximize pleasure, it's avoid habituation of, of pleasures. Don't, don't make them become habit. Don't eat too much ice cream. You're going to start to hate it. Savor pleasures more deeply through those different kinds of savoring techniques and become more mindful of pleasures. So then, which brings us to the next important differentiation is what's the difference between pleasures and gratifications? Gratifications like pleasures, they're also very enjoyable but they don't necessarily evoke any raw feelings like pleasures. 
where pleasures require very little, if any, thinking, gratifications often uh, involve thinking and interpretations. So examples of gratifications would be um, reading a great book, um, playing a sport you love, like snow, you know, snowboarding or skiing. I live in Colorado. It's a big thing out here. Um, immersing yourself in a stimulating conversation with gratifying activities. When we're experiencing gratifying activities, we kind of lose our sense of time. We can, that's how you can get in, engaged in something. And then all of a sudden you're like, everyone's like, come on, you know, dinner's ready. It's let's go, or it's time to go. And you're like, oh, just one more run. Time stops and we lose self-consciousness and we become totally absorbed in the activity. And gratifications last longer than pleasures. Pleasures tend to be short-lived. Gratifications don't habituate as easy as pleasures do. Um, Could you, but, during it's a gratifying, like you're seeing a book that is very gratifying or enjoyable, yeah. Could, while well, in, in, could you? I, I would think you could also have pleasure inside of it because what you're reading evokes something that was a very kind pleasurable, of an emotional, an emotional yeah. response. Yeah, within the yeah. within inside of that, almost cocooned inside of it. Yes, yes. Now, pleasures are about engaging the senses and feeling emotions. Gratifications are about contacting a higher part of ourselves, our strengths, our virtues, those kinds of things. Um, so if you think about like in terms of Maslow, this hierarchy of needs, pleasures are the satisfaction of, of our basic needs, especially biological ones, right? Feels pretty good when you got to go to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. That's a biological need. It, there's, there is a satisfaction in there, a pleasure in that. Now, gratify, nobody would say it's gratifying to take a dump, right? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, Relieving yourself, it feels good. It's a, it's a, it's the pleasure principle. Now we're getting into Freud. Let's not do that. Gratifications, in contrast, are the results of higher needs, like our cognitive needs, aesthetic needs, self-actualization, self-transcendence. That's what we hit on last week. Those are gratifications. So, one of the big things that's like really big in self-development and performance is people talk about flow flow states. Uh, it's really big. Mihai uh, Csikszentmihalyi was the, the, the guy that did all the research on flow. He wrote, he actually just died, which is kind of sad, but he was a researcher, a clinic, a clinical psychologist. Um, actually, I don't know if he was a clinical psychologist. He was a psychologist um, at University of Chicago, and he did all the work in the 60s and 70s and 80s on flow states. So Seligman's research on authentic happiness intersects very directly with Cheek Sent Me High's research on flow. And in a, in a state of flow, we, we generally actually don't feel positive emotions because we're focused. We've got a clear goal and we enter a timeless vortex, a timeless state where we are absorbed in deep, effortless activity. So if I'm like bombing down the run, on ice and I'm trying not to you know break my neck on the snowboard I'm not I'm not thinking about how positive this is I'm just in that state of flow or if you're flying an airplane really fast down low or you know on an ILS and you're you know raw data in the clouds no autopilot and you're you're just trying to keep everything centered like you you can get into that state of flow when we land you're like oh that felt great right but in the moment, you're not thinking this is gratifying. You're just 
you're in the in the zone. That's what flow. That's what flow states are. Is a very rudimentary definition. I would um, also think that a flow state could be something in a non-aviation setting would be like you're so immersed in a movie. Yeah. That you know somebody's talking to you and they go, "I've been talking to you for five minutes." Yeah. Huh? What? Yeah. Did you say something? I yeah. mean, to me, that's now you know it's just you've gotten so immersed in into yeah. it that all of the other senses kind of I can't say all, but some of them shut down. And and because you're focused on what's on that one one yeah. thing, whatever that thing is. Yeah, that's why yeah. sometimes when you're talking to your kids, you don't they don't even hear you because they're so immersed in their. They're so in it. Yeah, yeah they're they just are. in these. And when they're playing and they're in an imaginary state, you know, they are in flow. And I mean, what's so interesting about flow is our sense of self extinguishes; it's gone, which is like. Amazing. It's what allows people to do these like Herculean things, like these extreme sports athletes that fly the wingsuits and they fly between, you know, through cliffs and stuff. And you, you talk to them like they're not their their sense of who they are is not even part of the equation because they're so engaged. Because if they make one mistake, they're dead. You've got to be in that state of flow. And so people chase it and it feels amazing. Flow to to the point where you could become addicted to that endorphin and then people kill themselves. And this is why people like, um, rush. Yeah. The rush. I mean, like, you know, these, these billionaires that want to fly hot air balloons around the world and all this stuff, and they end up dying in plane crashes because they're, they're, they're they, they've made all the money in the world. They've achieved everything and they just want the, the rush. They keep, so they keep pushing the, the boundary of what is human capability to the point where they end up dying. They lose their perspective of like, is this worth it? Is this safe? So while pleasures come easily, gratifications from exercising our personal strengths are very difficult. It's very difficult to get them. And so this is probably why we often seek pleasure instead of just focusing on growth. And so a further challenge is that um, there are no shortcuts to gratifications. They take effort. They take practice and consistent exercising of our abilities and our, our strengths. Building these strengths require a very conscious decision. Do you want to acquire them? And there's choice here. Do you want to acquire them? Do you want to keep building them? And when do you want to use them? So you got to learn your natural strengths. And Seligman, this is a huge point in his research is you have to learn your natural strengths. And he outlines two characteristics of what he calls strengths. Um, and here, let me actually, let me pull these up because I don't have these memorized. One is, okay, here's what he says. A strength is a trait, a psychological characteristic that can be seen across different situations and over time. And two is a strength is valued in its own right. The strengths are states we desire that require no further justification. So this like the second characteristic, it, it highlights a pretty important difference between gratifications and pleasures. Unlike pleasures, gratifications are undertaken for their own sake, not for any positive emotion that we can produce. And he offers 24 different strengths that are measurable and acquirable. Um, so I'm just going to read these because I think these are, are pretty interesting. Cur for under creativity, right? So there's curiosity. Um, judgment, critical thinking, critical thinking, 
love of learning, perspective, bravery, uh, valor, perseverance, honesty or integrity, zest, love, and kindness. Under social and emotional intelligence, it's teamwork and fairness. Under leadership, it's forgiveness, humility, prudence. Under self-regulation or self-control, it's appreciation for beauty and excellence, gratitude, hope and optimism, humor, playfulness. And under spirituality, it's faith. Um, so as I just like name those off, I ask you, the listener, do certain strengths stand out in your mind? It's a good way to start thinking about this. I will tell you, um, you just named off 10 podcasts we could do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Probably. I feel like, wow. There's so much to that. I mean, this is why. Yeah, there just, are. I mean, I've, I've so, listened to yeah. those. I'm going, we could dig, we could go oh, down. Oh, yeah, there's so much into all these. All these, they're, they're really important and there's so much to it, which is what keeps me constantly engaged in this. It's just like, like so much. So, but like discover your personal strengths. Like, do you want to discover your natural strengths? You've got, you know, there's a couple ways you can do this. You can do this with individual coaching, um, working with a, a human performance per, you know, coach. Or there's also, uh, I think there's a couple of websites that you can do this. We'll, I'll try to, we'll try to link to them. There's something at uh, University of Pennsylvania's authentic, they have an authentic happiness website. Uh, but anyways, uh, there, there's ways you can work on your personal strengths. At the V1 Project, that's a huge, huge, huge piece that we're going to spend time on over the course of a year working on what are our personal strengths because this is why this is so important it's not it's not just like you know let's just call up some stuff because it sounds good no it's there's really big uh implications and impacts of doing this it's kind of like a ship you can't you can't turn it on a dime and yeah. and a, lo a lot of the things we've done have been for so long ingrained in us that you have to kind of get out of your comfort zone a little bit or see things from a different perspective. Yeah. So, I, you know, everybody hears a year and they go, wow, that's a long time. It is, but it isn't. There's so much to touch and so much to do. I strongly encourage those that are thinking about these kind of things that this is a, this is not a sprint. This is yeah. a marathon. Yeah. And, and you need to kind of look at it going, how can I improve incrementally? And it, that's all of a sudden when you look back and go, wow, a lot's changed, but you may not have noticed it in any one minute, hour or day or yes. week. It takes a while. Totally. Totally. It takes, it's a lifetime. It's yeah, a lifetime. You'll never stop, but never you can stop. make some big, big Huge. leaps in, in along the way yes. where it's not, you're not having to feel like, oh, I'm never going to get there. No, you, you, I you agree. You can get a lot of the way there. And it's, you know, like working individually, like somebody asked me, why, why am I doing the V1 project? Why are we doing this? Like, cause individually I can work with people and it's great. There's something about doing it in a group that's magic. It's just, it's, it's magic. We are, we are animals. Humans are animals that are community-based. We need community. We work better in groups. And there's a lot more momentum that happens in groups. So when you're working we're social on social creatures, we're social creatures. We're wired we for are. that. We are wired for that. So, okay. So let's talk about strength, strengths for a second. I'll, I'll tie this all together with, to that question. Uh, and I have a question at the end. Uh, okay. After you get done with your strengths. Okay. So play to your signature strengths. That's what Seligman, he, he calls it signature strengths. Um, or I would call them core strengths. Your signature strengths are the top five strengths I, I think that you can you can find. And it usually comes down to about five. Um, but 
when you discover your natural strengths, this is a is very instructive process. It can clarify what you already know about yourself or highlight strengths that you aren't conscious of. And it can also suggest where to, to invest your time to increase your gratification, which I would say by proxy is how you can experience more authentic happiness. So, but what I've also found is that equally helpful to what strengths, you know, like where, where my strengths are, where I'm low on, if I have a tendency toward perfectionism or, or being, you know, being good in all that I do, uh, you know, you might find it helpful to see what ranks at the bottom of your strength list as well, when you do this kind of work. So we might want to be, you know, have high proficiency in all those 24 strengths in order to master every, you know, valued human virtue. But the reality of our humanness provides a, a much more realistic point of view. We're, we're not going to be great at all those things, and it won't actually speak to us to be great at all those things. I would but, also say that sometimes what we think is a strength may in actuality not be a strength, but one that we want to possess, right? even though we may or may not. As an example, you know, I want to be brave. Right. Well, you know, sometimes it's that external um, input, i.e., from someone who who who's uh, a friend, a best friend, or or a loved one. You know, sometimes they can give you hopefully something a little objective. Going well, you know, you think you're humbled. You're not quite as humble as you should be, or whatever. Some, right. I think sometimes it's nice to think what your strengths are. What you know, if I were to say what my five strengths are and what my my five five weaknesses are mm -hmm. may not exactly be close to what you may think they are. Right. You may say, well, Carl, yeah, you are in that one, but not so much in these two type things. Yes. Well, so I think, I think, I think that's an interesting them, thing is to see how do they, do they match up? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And with advantage of doing this work is when you know what they, what these things are, I think you get a greater self-acceptance of shortcomings and a renewed interest in developing on your actual strengths, which is the, the next point is capitalize on your signature strengths. Like what Seligman would suggest, you know, you can increase your level of authentic happiness by capitalizing on your strengths. Once you, once your signature strengths, you're able to use these things every day in the different, the main areas of your work and of your life, it changes everything. It changes your level of authentic happiness. So one good, like, process to follow is when you know what your top five strengths are, or shit, top three, top one, yeah. um, ask yourself, one is where am I using this strength now in my work and, and, and in my life? And what are three to five ways I can use this strength more consciously in my work and in my life? The more effort you invest in developing skills in your strength areas, the more gratification you're going to experience in the present. So, so here's the point. What's the punchline? The question was, how do I get more happiness in my life? Stop pursuing happiness. Take a moment and just do this right now. Like take a moment and just take a, take a breath and consider how happy do you feel as you listen to this. If you're not feeling happy, how do you feel about that? Survey your feelings carefully and be honest. And if you're if you're feeling happy, right, then then please, by all means, continue to feel happy. 
But if you're not, that's okay. Be curious. We've got this cultural bias towards happiness. It's a belief that we're supposed to be happy most of the time. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you. You need to get on the right drug or you need to, you know, you know, post more pictures on Instagram or whatever. And if you're not happy, then there's something wrong with you. So if you aren't feeling happy as you listen to this, do you notice any tension in your body? Do you feel any mental or emotional distress? Not feeling happy is one thing. How we relate to our feelings is something else. The tension we often feel is, is rooted in an underlying assumption, which is that we should be happy. But why? But, but why should happiness be the aim or ideal in our everyday human experience? I mean, life is filled with difficulties. It's filled with upsets. It's filled with pain. And there's a great deal of suffering within our human experience. Uh, you know, is, is it reasonable to, 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 to expect to be happy most of the time? I, well, I don't think so. What I, you know, what I was going to get to after you had talked about everything, but I feel like it's a good place to put in. To me, happiness is like the tide. It ebbs and it flows. It comes in, it goes out. It's there, there's going to be times when it it's it's there, and you take it for the moment. But it's like you said, it it it's it doesn't stay forever. But it doesn't stay away from forever. It either. doesn't. But the cultural bias toward happy, toward you've got to feel good, you should not experience pain, is probably one of the reasons that America is like the most depressed nation in the world. Our collective bias towards happiness. It is is it's just an attempt to repress the darker and and equally real side of being alive. And so, what do you do then? Right? Let's not leave you with no. Okay, so everything's shit, and you're never going to be happy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is and and Andrew Weil, Doctor Andrew Weil, wrote a really great book called Spontaneous Happiness, where he suggests that it would probably serve us better to replace the ideal of happiness with contentment. Contentment is a general feeling of okayness with life. With contentment, we're able to more easily accept what is, to be okay with whatever we're experiencing, either positive or negative or a shade of gray in between. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't try to find ways to increase our level of pleasure, our level of happiness, or even our level of optimism. But the point of this discussion is that Happiness, I think, is the wrong thing to chase. I think it's a fool's run. And in fact, one of my favorite books, as you know, is called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. It's a trap. Don't fall into the trap. Well, I would say that, uh, like I normally do at the end, what's the takeaway for this session? But I think you just did it. So <laughs> I don't think there's any. Uh, key point because i think you've been <laughs> kind of hitting it um keep your questions coming uh as you saw this whole podcast session was off of just one question some of these are so deep and there's so much to them that it that uh they are very they're important because things these are things that people think about all the time happiness is a subject that comes up all the time and, um, you know, just like 
all the other emotions. And we want to discuss those things. We appreciate you uh, sending those things in because there's other things that we would be looking at if you weren't talking about those things, but these are what's important. So please keep them coming. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to podcast at lifteffect.com. We appreciate you and we thank you for all of the support we've received so far. We look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. Matt, any last comments? Our goal is to reach as many people. So I hope that you'll subscribe. And no, I think uh, I just, the questions are so insightful that people are asking. I'm just blown away at our community for doing this. So I, you know, we will answer every single question either directly on the podcast or I will email you back personally. So appreciate your questions. Thanks for uh, tuning in and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect, a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.